Hi, I'm George Tekbachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for another Eastern Target Archery podcast. Steve's back from Europe. Yeah. And uh, you had a pretty good event, I thought, considering that you don't practice much. <laughs> I felt really good about it. Yeah, it was a great event. Uh, it, it, uh, yeah, it went really well. For the me. event we're talking about is the Kings of Archery, and it was the first time since, I believe, 2020 that the Kings of Archery was able to be staged. Actually, 2019. 2019, yeah. And uh, 828 shooters showed up from 43 countries, which is a pretty, pretty uh, outstanding turnout, I think, given the circumstances. Correct. You know, given the cost of travel and all that stuff, I, I thought that was really, really solid. Um, 144 of those came from Netherlands, so the vast majority of the shooters actually came from, guess where? Germany. Exactly right, Germany. 178 competitors came from Germany. Yeah, we had a lot of dealers there from Germany, so I was that was what spurred that guess for me. No, a lot you of were Germans. right. And 105 from Belgium and 108 from France, uh, 32 from Great Britain. I guess they didn't want to go across the channel. It's a more of a trek for them. I think it's like an eight-hour thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the because you're at the southern part of. Uh, you're only probably thirty, forty minutes from Belgium. Oh, that's right. It's in Eindhoven. Yes. So you've got to go fairly far south, and yeah, and, you're like you an know, hour and a half south of. Take the train Amsterdam. out of Amsterdam, and and yeah, and tra- we were we drove. Traffic can be really bad going back to Amsterdam. Can so. be beautiful highways in the Netherlands, but they are busy. Yeah, they uh, they do good. We went years prior. We had gone back to Amsterdam Monday morning, and that was a disaster. I mean, like getting to the airport was a disaster. Three hours, you know, four oh. hours on a drive that should be an hour and twenty minutes. Well, that's stressful. So yeah, we went back Sunday night this time. Oh, we stayed smart. at the airport. It was really great. Yeah, fifty-five shooters from Italy and uh, ten from Switzerland, even and uh, ten from the United States. It was. Uh, Really well attended, really well organized event, as they've always done. You know, yeah, Sander Dolderman is the guy who's yeah. mostly behind that, and of course he's got a team behind him. But Sander, shout out to him for, for getting it back up and running again. Yeah, he's, Sander and JVD, their team, they do a really good job. And yeah, JVD it's a fun is event. the uh, JVD, Jan van Drunen's distribution company for archery, is the uh, title sponsor of the event. And... Um, it's second now only to Neem as far as the size for a European tournament. I think it's bigger than Neem now because Neem has gotten a little smaller. Because of pandemic restrictions, Correct. you're right. So we'll see this year. Um, I'm hoping, and I think a lot of people realize, okay, okay, archery is, this is like it. This is, it's kind of back now, you know. Yeah. We're, we're back up. It's more normal than it has ever been for two years so yeah hopefully that that extends throughout europe at its height neem was running about 1800 shooters or so at, at a was it that point. much it was i thought it was like 11 in the past it was up that high wow. and then it, it did decrease um you know there were some venue things going on and some other things yeah. and of course with pandemic restrictions i think neem was severely restricted i think it was under 600 shooters the last yeah. time they had it uh and like kings of archery i think could be significantly larger but they have the infrastructure. The venue for is it. is the issue, and you know they're not they're not able to easily just find another venue that still allows them to be uh, fiscally in the realm of where they need to be. And you know that's okay. Yeah, you can't just go lose money. Like people have to understand that. Yeah, know? I mean, there's only a few places like the South Point where we have the Vegas shoot that are readily available for an event of that scale. Yeah, and um, I think that. 
anyway, it was really a good success. Um, they had a good live stream uh, with uh, pretty good views of, of the archers while they were shooting. They didn't have cutaways to the targets, so that made it kind of tough to see what was. But, yeah. But, you know, baby steps here. It's not perfect. And it's tough to do a, sh- a shoot-off like that to have... I mean, the ideal way to do it would be to have a camera on each target. It's hard, though. Yeah, and then you need a producer who can really tie in, say, hey, camera 5 and 10, that's archer and target. They need to go together. Yeah, and you'd be surprised how fast the co- the costs mount up when you start putting in that much. Yeah, I wouldn't know, but I know that there's... You would need a, a producer who really understands archery. Uh, yeah, that would be useful. And that probably doesn't exist in a lot of arenas. Um, we certainly didn't have one at the World Field. <laughs> but uh, they do a really good job. And that shoot-off's a lot of fun. It, it was long. You know, it was a, a long event. Or, sorry, a long shoot-off. And you could kind of tell the crowd was getting a little tired by the end of the day. You know? Yeah. Like we started shoot off around three thirty, and I want to say we finished it around seven fifteen. Oh, that so. is long. That's yeah. long. So you had yeah two bare bow categories. You have recurve, two categories, mm-hmm. and then women's compound, men's compound. So. Yeah, I, I could hear the announcer trying to whip up the crowd, and at times it seemed like an uphill battle. So. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of the thing they're looking at is well, we can probably get more numbers in here if you know just it's just me and Saunders spitballing. You know, if it can go to a three-day thing where there's a final on Saturday night and then there's a final on Sunday night, you then break that up a little bit. You know, that's for them to determine if it's viable, but that was an option there too. Yeah. That's uh, don't play with clicky things by the yeah, microphone. Whoops. <laughs> I don't think anyone will hear it. I don't know. I listened to a podcast the other day, and the host had a cold. And there was absolutely no muting of any of the associated sounds that you'd expect somebody to have a bad cold. Uh, and it was right in the microphone, and it was just horrible. It was just yeah. the worst. It's and like I know someone eat, you know. Oh, it's, it's worse. that's even worse. I hate that. Ugh. Ugh, terrible. Anyway, um, how about people who sound like they sound gummy when they talk? They there is that. Oh yeah, that like their mouth drink is some sticky. Water. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or the ones who. Literally gum themselves. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've noticed. <laughs> like, get started with... Uh, okay, we're off topic. Yeah, long, long list of uh, auditory things. Yeah. That are, and, and I'm not going to tell you folks, anybody listening to this podcast knows we're not exactly stellar when it comes to audio production, but uh, we are trying to do a little better. I think you're a lot better than most, considering you're doing it on two iPhones. <laughs> so Basically, yeah. All but, right, so KOA, hey, you made it to the shoot-off. Yeah, I shot really, really well. well. Let's, let's say much, it. you shot really yeah. well. I hadn't put much in in six months. You know, I shot in May in Korea. Shot a couple three Ds in between, but really as little preparation as possible to get a decent sight tape and then go out and you know get through a round. And this was not an easy group of people. I mean, this was a Vegas quality field of yes. shooters. Yes, and we had a a record number of nine hundreds. Yeah. This whole, I don't know where the seventeen pops. seventeen of them in right. the men's compound category. Yeah, out of I don't know how many competitors, but it's a pretty solid rate. Uh, it was seventeen out of something like two hundred and ninety three. Two hundred ninety three men's compound. Two hundred ninety three. That seems 
lower than I expected. Well, um, that's that's what shows on Ian Sale as I look at it. So yeah, it's seven pages of shooters. We had I, I'm going to say around 280 shooters at Vegas, and like 24 made it one year. That was an exception, though. Yeah, that was the most ever. So 15 is pretty average for Vegas. Right. If you look at it, it's usually about one in every 20. One in every 20 shooters. So 5% of shooters shoot a perfect score. Yeah. In the men's compound, men's pro division. So if you look at this, I would say it's fair to say that it's on par with Vegas stats when you look at this from that point of view. Yeah. When you consider that this has, there's no amateur class here either. Right. So this is both combined. So a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of notables at this event. You know, the uh, Mike Schlusser, of course, um, Matthias Fullerton, the up and coming kid from Denmark, Dave Cousins, the multiple world champion. You had Nicolas Girard from France, who's been really doing well. He was second at the World Cup final uh, earlier this year. Uh, JP Bulsh, the big guy from France. Braden Galantine, our friend from the United States. Abhishek Virma from India, a brilliant shooter. Chris Schaff, Domagoy Budin. Um, you had uh, uh, Steve Anderson in there. Along Somehow with, he uh, made it, yeah. Along with Stefan Hansen, the multiple world champion. Nico Wiener, the world champion from Austria, shot in 899. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the thing. You're looking at guys like Stefan, Nico, Mark really Damsbo. I mean, a lot of recognizable names. Yeah. Joseph Bozanski, Stash Yeah, those guys shooting 899s. Yeah. So it, it was a lot like uh, Vegas. Real Wild was in yeah. there. It's a lot like Vegas in that you had a, a really stellar group of guys, and we knew there was going to be good scores. It's a little less pressure, obviously, than Vegas, which is why you can get a guy shoot, you know, a number of guys shoot 87X. But that started to become the norm, you yeah. know. Yeah. Stefan shot 89X there one year. And I think the year he won should have been 2019. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, I shot 81, and I think, I can't remember what the most I've ever shot is. It might have been 83 at Kings of Archery a couple of years ago. You're at 86 2018. Um, no, I think oh, that, that counts that's the admin. Off. Yeah, I had 81 in, in the qualification round. So I shot about as good as I ever do with mm-hmm. very little effort. And, yeah, I think... <laughs> Just got a. Honestly, I think I've got a bow that works really well for me. So new name on top of the board, shooting a Hoyt Stratos and and yeah. uh, and Easton Super Drive twenty threes, and that Rishab. was Rishab Yadav of India. He's uh like a protege of Abhishek Verma. Yeah, it makes sense. And super nice kid, really nice kid. Always got a big smile on his face. Uh, loves archery. You know, I follow him on Instagram. You just described every compound man from India that I know. Really nice. I mean, really loves archery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. a commonality. You know? And, yeah, Rishab just, I, I don't know. I, think, he's, I don't know if he's ever shot an indoor event. That might have been it. As a matter of fact, I think in the interview he might have said that he he's been shot shooting. Vegas. But, but he'd been shooting outdoors, and he went straight to this yeah. event. So yeah. he hadn't been set up for indoors per se no they don't do that so and that's a remarkable thing it just goes to show that 20 yards is an easy game from a shooting perspective from a mental perspective it's a it's a very difficult game yeah and he's got both apparently you, you know? know i think that that is one reason why it has endured for so long the 18 meter round or the 20 yard round has endured for so long because it's accessible for a club shooter Right, they can they can aspire to that three hundred and sometimes achieve it, especially in league or 
practice. When the pressure comes on, that's the difference. Right. You watch a, a Mike Schlosser just wear it out all weekend, and then, you know, six ends into a shoot-off, he gets tripped up. And it's like, okay, so there is, you know, if Mike Schlosser's at his club, he might not miss for six months. And I'm not kidding when I say that. He may not miss an X all year, you know. It'll be if he's focused and shooting. Yeah. Um, I know when he shot the perfect 600 in Neem, his dad said he had shot like nine perfect games prior to that going in. I don't doubt it. So uh, you get in a shoot-off and, you know, the the uh, excitement ramps up a little bit. And that's how you – that's why we don't see guys go 45, 60 arrows, something like that in a shoot-off. You know, they're usually over and done with in about 15 to 21. So it is still a viable game. If you look at it from a qualification standpoint, there's so many guys shooting 900 now, and the X counts are really high, you'd see people say, oh, this needs to change. But I'm not too concerned about it changing until we start seeing, you know, 30, 36 arrow shootoffs. Now, here's one thing you would not have seen at Vegas. In the compound women's category, um, the winner ended up with an 899. There were two other women who finished second and fourth respectively who'd shot perfect scores 900 correct um so you know a little different but still yeah kings of archery they take the top eight into the shoot off or any perfect scores which included world champion marcella tonioli of italy was nice to see her shooting in a in a shoot off yeah she was in there snuck in um i don't remember exactly where she got in eighth spot seventh spot eighth um but yeah, some some good scores. Tanya Galantine uh, and Lizelle Yatma shot yeah. 900. Yep. Yeah. And you also saw uh, Elisa Rohner from Italy with an 899, 91X. And uh, I think that 91X comes from the total accumulation. Yeah. But she um, too. You know, obviously. But uh, a number of uh, not as many, not as many premier women's compound shooters at this event as we saw in the men's category. Yeah, the numbers just weren't quite there, but you know, still you have world number one Ella Gibson, the exactly. winner. You know, she shot. There were ninety nine women. Yeah, overall. she shot eight ninety nine, ninety three X, pretty good, and then wins the shoot off. You know, it was a really, really uh, tight shoot off. I think they had some close arrow calls in a couple ends, and you know, it was exciting. There were theirs. close calls. I yeah. saw more than a few, and um, you know, part of that's part of that's just the nature of how arrows land in paper. Right. And the precision of the target. Yeah, and we were shooting those 11 targets. Yeah. And truthfully, I don't think they... The 11 target combined with the paper that was being used, it, it just didn't give a real clean cut. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. I was thinking that, you know, some of those arrows, the way they were lying in the target, you really saw some, uh, not major kicks, like sometimes you see in Vegas. Yeah, they weren't like Vegas, but... But some, some stuff was going It just on. doesn't cut a clean hole in the paper, so you really can't tell. Um, you know, I had a guy on my bail the first day who had two that I'm like, those are well out. And they both got called in. So Really? You know, well, and then, yeah, you just. Yeah, and I saw a couple get called in that I looked at and I was like, hmm. Yeah. I, I was thankful to not have any go to a judge because I just don't know that they could provide really accurate calls given the scenario. You know, Bruce's approach, Bruce Cole's approach at the Vegas shoot is... He has three judges look at everything, and it, it takes, takes forever. Way too long. But, but when you consider what's on the line, his justification is understandable. I think three judges at a close call 
is absolutely the way to go. Yeah, I, you don't need three on judges. On the first on, end, scoring Big Ten, having three judges look at three arrows, dead center X-ring. Just just have Bruce or, or the announcer yeah. go down the line and knock him out. Bring because, over Raymond from Kings of Archery. He does a great job. There you go. Yeah, it's – yeah. However you do it. I hope Bruce listens to this. No more 22-minute first ends, Bruce. <laughs> I'll pass it on if he doesn't hear it. All right, so um, obviously – Bruce is a showman. He'll – improve the show I'm he always does yeah i think recurve men had a, a big turnout as you might expect from an event in europe of course and uh you had 202 men's recurve shooters at the event and a number of top shooters uh we didn't see brady there nope but steve Viler, who ended up winning was there he snuck in steve snuck in he snuck into the shoot off tell me how they had an oh a i see way tie for eighth place okay let's let's explain one thing here yeah you had one, two, three, four, five, seven. six, seven, nine hundreds shot. Yeah, scored the entire yellow was a ten. Let's let's make that very clear. The only person that's actually shot a legitimate nine hundred is Brady Ellison. Yeah, still. Yeah, these but, were. But Kings of Archery uses the entire gold as a ten ring in Correct. the preliminaries, and so you had seven people with a nine hundred, which you know they need to call it a KOA. 900. Yeah. It, because it on their be. social media, they're like, seven recurve shooters with a 900 and X number of women with a 900. And it's like, ah. Uh, yeah. It, it's. I'm not, I'm not knocking what they did, but call it what it is. Until people understand the event. And that's the problem. Most people do not. Right. If you go to Vegas and you say, yeah, I shot a 300, people know you didn't shoot necessarily a 30X. World Archery 300. Because it's Vegas. Correct. Um, and it's been around and people understand it. But, yeah, Kings of Archery still maybe... It, it was clearly unclear to a lot of people on the interwebs. That's why I'm saying it now. So, because I think that it needs to be made clear. The yeah. only person that has shot a 900 legitimately on a Vegas face, Brady Ellison. Yeah, I mean, you look at this, even, even with an 18-arrow final, no one shot 90... Tens, right? Which were X's there, or ninety X's, which were tens and eighty-five X's. was uh, the high score. Uh, uh, yeah, with a hundred and eight arrows. Now, to the point, Steve Viler was the guy who had that highest X count, that highest ten, uh-huh. you know, legitimate ten count. And yet, as you point out, he kind of snuck in, right? They had, they had a, a ten-way tie for eighth, so he had a they had a closest to the center shoot off, and he piped one. And that's what got him in. And then they do a kind of like the lucky dog, kind of the way that goes. Correct. And then they do a joker there as well, which right. is the lucky dog. Right. So Steve was for that top eight, you know, auto top eight. Everyone's in. Then they brought in the joker. Okay. And the joker is everybody doing a one arrow shoot off. Kind of like the lucky dog. Yeah. They, it's not a one arrow. It's a one it's, end? It progresses just like Lucky Dog with, you know, got to shoot a 10, an X, inside out X, uh-huh. or something like that. Anyhow, I think, I'm not sure they do it in recurve. I, I honestly don't remember, but they have it in compound. That's where we got the 18th guy in the shoot-off. And they yeah. were expecting maybe 12, so. Of all the people in the shoot-off, Steve Viler is certainly the most recognizable. Uh, there were shooters from India and Italy and Netherlands and Croatia, but uh, no you know, premier level shooters, maybe with the exception of Felix Weiser from Germany. Um, and Mauro Nespoli from Italy um, didn't make it into the shoot-off, but uh, he was there. Michele Frangilli. Michele Frangilli was back. 
which was kind of cool. Yeah, they uh, they brought around a barebow riser. You know, his dad. Oh yeah, thirty three and a half inches. It's like a compound. He brought riser. it to me to stand next to me. It's my height. The whole bow is my height. You know, I built a uh, when I worked at Hoyt over fifteen years ago. I actually took a Hoyt compound riser that was like a thirty two inch riser and built a recurve out of it. And Randy Walk took one look at that and said, no. (laughs) (laughs) But here we are. All right. So Rick Vanderven, um, he ended up 21st. A few other... Chef Vandenberg shot a bow from the 90s. Chef shot a Radian. Yeah, Hoyt Radian. And then yesterday on social media, (laughs) he he posted up his round that he'd shot with the new XD and axial limbs. And he's like, this is so much better. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's pretty like, incredible how far it's come. Well, you, you know, know, there's this narrative out there about recurve bows. That they aren't any better. That some people say that, yeah. And um, Chef, who has no skin in the game, he's not a sponsored shooter anymore. You know, he runs an archery shop. He sells everything. Right. He, he went out of his way to say, this XD is so much better than bows from the 1990s. My, yeah. You know? It, yeah, it goes to show, I mean, the tech is... Is getting better. It really the bows is. are getting better, and then oh, and by the way, people's XD, understanding is getting better. XD was what was used to win this thing, and Stratos was what was used to win in both men's and women's both compound. Men's and women's, yeah. And Ella Gibson shot the Stratos, and that was her debut with the Stratos because she elected to Correct. continue to shoot her uh, exceed. Excuse me, her um, Invicta Invicta at the World Cup final in Mexico, and was beaten by Sarah Lopez shooting the Stratos. Stratos is the way. And Ella and our friend yeah. from India both shot the Stratos to win. Rashi. Yeah, and then uh, Gabby Schlosser, who was always an Exceed Gabby. shooter. Gabby, yeah. She always shot the Exceed Grand Prix limbs. Which is a great bow, by the way. Yeah. I've got one. I love, I love it. But she went to the Formula XD, yeah. and then, you know, I accidentally gagged up the Facebook post, or the... The social media post. I I just wrote Gabby Schlosser exceed because I'm so used to seeing her with it. Yeah, but she shot the XD. Yeah, she commented, "No, I'm shooting a Formula XD." So, so here's I here's, it. here's what worries me down. though. Here's what worries me. Both winners shooting the XD and X, and Axia. Pink risers. No, Gabby's was white. Oh, I thought Gabby's was pink. It must have been the lighting. Yeah, yeah, lighting. Okay. The, All right, uh, that's a relief. That the Barebow winner, Carol Ann Sees. Yeah. Really nice lady. She's from uh, Edinburgh. Yeah. And there's a write-up about her um, in one of the pubs, uh, one of the publications. I, you know, she talks about how, my understanding, I, I didn't read it, but got to kind of hear some of the story firsthand. She talked about how she had some real mental health issues and archery, like, kind of brought her out of Helped it. Helped her out. Yeah, and then she was barebow women's winner, shooting a really nice-looking pink Exceed. She got some hair to match. It was really cool. She is a striking individual. Yeah, she so. has a hair, and she's got the hair. Yeah, she's really, really cool lady. It was, uh, you know, I talked to her briefly, and she's she's got that real thick Edinburgh accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like trying to, you know, make sure I understood everything clearly. <laughs> you do have to listen carefully. Yeah, yeah. but uh, really nice lady and great shooter too. Nice, nice. That's an awesome story. So, all in all, a tremendous success. Congratulations again to JVD and to Sander Dolderman for, uh, for a tremendous effort. And uh, I think going forward, uh, this will continue to grow. And uh, 
continue to attract shooters from around the world like it has at this thing, more than 40 countries showing up for this. Looking forward to seeing what they do next and how they plan to expand it. If they do, you know, it's it's totally their call. But um, really cool to have that style of tournament in Europe, you know, where they get to break out the 27s and prep for Vegas and, and play that game. And it's really, it. I think it's a really cool event for Recurve too because it shifts their focus from <clears throat> trying to be the fastest boat in the water to now they're playing a lot of the same game that the compound shooters are playing in Vegas where they're, they're trying to keep it between the lines, right? And that shifts your approach to shooting, shifts your mentality. You know, it's a lot different game when you're there's no fear of missing. It's all about trying to be perfect versus having an entire tournament ruined by one miss. You yeah. know, you, you just approach it differently, and you've got to get accustomed to that. Well, they've come up with a good balance, I think, and, uh, you know, I, I, I believe that uh, the way forward is to make these events stand out. Rob Koffold's done the same thing with Lancaster. He's got a special aspect that Lancaster has. Yeah. I think people like those differences from the normal standard rounds. Not that those should ever go away, but it's nice to have something a little different. Five spots should go away. Well, that's that's no argument. That's a different story. Well, Steve, one thing that a lot of folks don't understand right now is that as we record this, I'm intruding upon um, a major amount of work that you and the Hoyt team are doing right now. I'm not going to try to take credit for any of this. This is uh, the other guys, right? So, yeah, but... Today yeah. is the day that Hoyt launches its new hunting line. Yeah, we're in hunting bow launch right now, and, and that's... Uh, not necessarily my focus whatsoever. I try to be supplemental to them however I can. Yeah. I mean, we're target guys. Yeah. And we don't really deal with the hunting line. So they, but, they, uh, they've been busy. They've been hard at work. And but you know, there is a lot of crossover between the people who uh, listen to our podcast uh, for target archery and who also participate in the hunting aspect of things, a lot of pro shop owners and things like that. So yeah. I, I think that uh, as we speak, literally about... 30 minutes ago, the website went live with the new bows. So people can go to Hoyt.com and look at that. But, um, you know, there's another company that uh, is much closer to the podcast that also has some new stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of new, new, new stuff from Easton. We've got a new up. paper catalog right here. Yeah, let me flip through this. Here. Yeah, there's some, uh, there's some pretty cool new stuff from Easton this year that I think might be worth discussing for a couple of minutes. Knock collars, which I asked for for about seven years. Knock collars are finally available from Easton. And, you know, while I still am not 100% sure that 100% of shooters need them, for those people who do, for those people who like to stack arrows and don't have the common sense to put up a separate target for, <laughs> for practice, for practice um, they could be quite useful. I think that... Um, you know, one of the nice things about the uh, the knock collar is that it does show if it gets struck, right? Because you can you can see it. It gives right. you a, a it's telltale. black, so it gives a nice yeah shiny mark. You know, yeah. you see you that aluminum damage, and so then you can you can look at that and go. Whereas you know, if you don't have a knock collar, you might not necessarily notice if you've really whacked the back of the arrow. So there's some some utility there. Um, you know, one, one observation you had before we talked about starting the podcast today, though, stood out for me, and that was interesting, and that was an interesting point of view. And there's a philosophical difference 
between boat companies and an aero company like Easton. And I'll, I'll just put it out there. We don't necessarily, as archers, want our ammo to change every year. Right? Correct. I want to be able to go and select a 2114 X7 and know that that's going to shoot the same as the 2114 X7 I shot in 1983. Right. It's not the the arms race that exists in bows where bow technology is changing quickly yeah you know arrows are i mean the the premise of an arrow has been the same since the beginning of time build it straight and build it spec'd to work with a certain bow yeah 100 percent. and so, you know i think that again an arrow for everybody is one of the things that that is important to easton's ethos right there is an arrow in this catalog for every budget and every level of shooter and every basically every type of game every type of archery game whether that includes bow hunting or target archery or indoor or outdoor or 3d or field there is a a choice for everybody at a different price point now one thing you do see from easton is that when technology allows for an improvement they will implement the improvement correct you know or when something needs to change to match bow technology, you know? Exactly. I mean, like, just simply making a stiffer arrow, which you're you're starting to see more oh, and yeah. more. yeah. For of. example, Easton added, you know, since the original design of the X-10, there have been a couple different stiffer sizes added to the X-10 since its initial introduction back in 1996. And some of the, um, some of the very top shooters, like Brady, need that because of the combination of poundage and technique uh, that didn't exist when that arrow was first developed. Nobody was shooting some of the uh, requirements that are that are out there now with modern recurve limbs and some of the other stuff going on. And so, you know, you look at that and you go, all right, that's that's evolutionary more than revolutionary to add new sizes of X10, right? I mean, that's uh, that's more of an evolutionary thing. Correct. But you'd be surprised what it took to do because it required a different carbon fiber and it required uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes work to make it makeable, right? Yeah, so, people get scared sometimes when... I mean, I don't know how many carbon fiber differences there are in, say, an ACE lineup. You probably would know. There are three different ones. Right. People don't always realize that. And, you know, they might think that oh i want to shoot these because i like this carbon fiber better and blah 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 it's like don't overthink it you no because no, <laughs> every one of them is custom um right don't don't do that on the podcast don't nah. <laughs> <laughs> you were about to make a clicking noise i know you were you were <laughs> all right so you know when the x10 has a 325 and a 350 neither of which was originally designed what people don't realize is that required a whole lot of engineering work to develop those. And uh, so, you know, that's that's one aspect. Pro Tour is available now from uh, 340 down to 770. And because of the design of the Pro Tour, uh, you don't need a 325. Uh, a Pro Tour 340 shoots a lot like an X10 300 if such a thing existed. So just a, a little note there. ACE line is unchanged for this year, but there's a new 4mm knock collar available for it. And a couple of years ago, the ACE got a pretty big upgrade in the components. Uh, the HL stainless steel breakoff points, really, really nicely made 
breakoff points for those. Same points go in the ProComp, and the ProComp has also uh, got the availability of a 4mm knock collar now, which is compatible with the knock systems that are available already for ACE and ProComp. So a uh, couple of things there. The other interesting thing is the Avance will also accept the 4mm knock collar, and some new sizes of Avance and Avance Sport are available. goes all the way down to 2,000 spine now. Hmm. So, so that's uh, pretty cool. And uh, the Avance Sport and the Avance are all carbon arrows that uh, are very, very accurate. Um, straightness and weight tolerances are very tight. The Avance Sport has a little bit looser straightness tolerance, so it's much more affordable. The Avance is the high-end level of, of that all-carbon arrow. Yeah, and those are arrows that we introduced, and then it was during a time when it was hard to hard to make get stuff. stuff built. Yep. So they kind of took a little too long to maybe get to market, but they're there now, though. And I think I that hope. Uh, you know, I think that that is going to serve the needs of folks who are able to use an all-carbon arrow, and particularly ones who are looking for a high-performance all-carbon arrow that doesn't cost a ton. Uh, Vector it has some new sizes available. The Vector is, of course, a uh, a four millimeter parallel design, and it's it's really built to hit a particular segment of the market that wants a high performance, high quality carbon arrow that's pre-fletched and provides for knocks and points. It's pretty much ready to shoot in in some configurations. Yeah, more like a club arrow. Yep, and it goes down to two thousand spine now, six hundred down to two thousand. So uh, that's the vector and the vector ready to shoot models that are available. The vector ready to shoot models. Uh, those are available ready to shoot with feather fletching, and those are in 600, 800, 1,000, 1,200, and 1,400, so a really good club-type arrow for that purpose. Superdrive Micro is another arrow that's uh, available now, and the Superdrive Micro also takes that 4-millimeter knock collar. So you think of the Superdrive Micro as a multi-layer, 100% high-performance carbon fiber arrow uh, very tight straightness and weight tolerances. This is a high-performance arrow for both compound and also usable for recurve. And it's available in a bunch of spines from 325 all the way down to 950. So um, the Superdrive Micro is particularly popular among some compound shooters, I've noticed. Yeah, so, I haven't seen a ton of those out there yet. I expect more and more we'll be giving them a try. Yeah, Superdrive 19. A little bit bigger in diameter than Superdrive Micro. Um, and again, available in three sizes, 330, 380, and 460, so no changes there. That's compatible with your Superdrive 19 adjustable point system. And now, here's, here's the interesting new thing. There's a thing called a SD19 kick-out bushing. Kick-out bushing. Steve, I don't know how I feel about this. The purpose I, of a kick-out bushing is what it sounds like. If you're a 3D shooter and you center punch the 12 ring on a 3D target, you don't want your competitors being able to <laughs> use your arrow as an aim point. So these were my design before I left, but they were oh, not so my uh, name. Doing. Not my name. No, but this does pretty well describe what it's meant to do, doesn't it? The idea behind it, it's really, it's got a good shoulder to it. Right. So rather than a... Uh, it has a heavy shoulder. Yeah, it's got a thick shoulder. And that shoulder is uh, not tapered into the arrow shaft. It kind of is a flat. 
It's got three degrees, I think, yeah. is what it has. Right. Yeah, the other ones were like 35 degrees or something. Probably, similar. yeah. So um, it's hard to say whether this will actually cause it to kick out further. In theory, it does. It, it may not, but it'll it'll protect the arrow better, too. Okay, I understand it protects the arrow, but what it really does is it's meant to make your competitor's arrow, <laughs> that they're aiming at your arrow, kick out of that ring. No, it's not what it's meant it's, for. It's a blocker. It's, it's not what it's meant for. Then why'd they call it a kickout bushing? Someone else called it. That's a, that's a Clint name. It's got Clint written all over that name. <laughs> um, but the, the premise was it uh, had a, if I remember right, it was designed to have a longer internal shank, which would help with alignment. Yeah, that it does. And then a more robust external shoulder to protect the protect arrow. The arrow. And, and it does that too. If you hit it, yeah, you might kick out further. You may. Uh, added benefit, I guess. This this is a competition. We're not playing for fun here at yeah. ASA. All right, all right. We're playing for keeps. And and you've shot ASA. Yeah. You know, you shot the the known distance ASA stuff. You and yeah. Linda both, right? And they're total. Yeah, we made them black so you can't see them because, <sighs> you know, right. not out there to help you. You know, we're competing. So so basically, this is a. You know, we've always said. Archery is one of those sports you can't block your competitor. Well, now you can. You can just not make it easy. You know, everyone, everyone will reference off an arrow when they can. They'll go, all right. The well, of course, they twelve do. ring is you know an inch to the right. And, and we're being a little tongue in cheek here. I mean, I, yeah. I I get it. But it's available for the Super Drive Twenty Three as well as the Super Drive Twenty Five and the Super Drive Nineteen. So Twenty Seven and the Twenty Seven. So all of your all of your Super Drive arrows that are very popular for indoor. You also have the ability now to use these things in the 3D realm, which I think is really where you're going to see these used more than anywhere else. Uh, I mean, these bushings will get used. I think it's the only one they're making now for the Super Drive series. So they'll be in everything. But, yeah, it's uh, the intent was to make it for 3D. So well, I'm pretty sure that they're still available with uh, Super or G-Uni bushings, depending on their size. I guess it could be. And I think that the... Kickout bushing is meant to be a separate thing, but uh, oh yeah, maybe so. I think it is. Well, so anyhow, anyhow. kickout bushings are cool. All right, they they will. I mean, all joking really aside funny. about the kickout aspect of it, they do have more accuracy potential. Yeah, and it's you know it's funny how people can get. You always hear those people who are like upset if someone on their targets using black veins, well, or black knocks. Yeah, yeah, dark. So I was like, hey, you know, we didn't. We're here to compete. We this is not a charity. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a, a beacon for you to work off of. So Yeah. And then some of them get really offended, you know, like they're really upset about it. Well, just don't hold your umbrella for them next time. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It. Uh, this is where it's trending. So. RX-7 um, is uh, continuing to be very popular with uh, a lot of recurve shooters. I, I keep getting inquiries from compound shooters that want to try it, too. What's your thoughts on that? I thought they should have changed that one to be all black. <laughs> yeah, they they haven't changed it to be all black. But yeah, and or you know, all black with silver tail or whatever. But um, yeah, I think it's still blue in the front. Still a very viable arrow for recurve and compound shooters. Yeah, absolutely. You know, aluminum X twenty threes are unchanged for this year. Still, arguably the most precise arrow ever made. Um, we saw Mike Schlusser 
shooting those at the uh, at the Kings of Archery. That was mm-hmm. his choice. X27 aluminums uh, continue unchanged in the line. Same for the X7 Eclipse. Double X75 Platinum Plus continues in the line with no changes. Same for the Jazz, which is a really popular club arrow. And um, there's a few other new things. One of them is uh, the bags that, that Clint, kind of his passion, you know, the bags that he works on. He's got a very cool new bow truck bag, which uh, is awesome. It's a 36-16, so it's 36 inches long, 16 inches across. And that is just what you want if you're a recurve shooter. Or, you know, you're one of those guys with one of those really short compound bows. Yeah, bow truck gen too. Yep. If you're if you're a guy going to Alaska or something to hunt, you know, you could throw in a it's thirty six external. I don't know what the interior length is, probably about thirty four and a half or so. It's gonna be a little tight with some of the bigger cam compounds. Yeah. But, but it's there's really, a forty inch version. There's it's gonna be great for recruit shooters though. It's a complete line of Yeah, there's a forty seven, really a forty and a thirty six. And uh You've you actually tested the prototype of this thing by dragging it halfway across the world a bunch of times. Yeah, like a hundred flights or something like that. Yeah, how'd that work out? Really well. It was still going strong, and you know, it was like, hey, you need to you need to run around with the production version because people were like, hey, what's that? Is that why you got a different one? So it's his uh, ballistic nylon, and it's got a TPU coating on the entire exterior, so you don't need to use one of those travel covers anymore, which are kind of a pain. Well, the travel cover added four pounds, and this new, this new. Let's see, I'm trying to compare the the previous version of the the black and gray and orange case, which was, I want to say it was two pounds heavier than the new bow truck, and then. So six pounds heavier overall. Yeah. yeah. And the bow truck is stronger. And, um, you know, it's got that really strong YKK zipper. Um, the zipper was the main failure point. Of and, and, and Clint can talk for about 15 minutes about the zipper because this is some special zipper that's woven a certain way. and Correct. It doesn't stitch in the same way to the fabric. Yeah. The, the failure point on those was when archers would drag their bow and then stop it they would stop it still dragging it so they'd set the bow completely upright and it would pop the zipper stitch and then that would fail so now this sits one it's got a guard that sits the zipper up higher above the ground when in that position yeah which also keeps out of the mud yeah and then yeah it has basically a brush guard and then we have um just a woven in zipper that doesn't require the same type of stitching which is easier to pop so Durable, more durable, and also better protected. You know, I started using a hard case back in the 1980s. I was probably the first, as far as I'm aware, I was the first competitive recurve shooter to start using a Pelican case, 36-inch Pelican case. And then a lot of people started doing it after they saw mine. And the downside of a hard case... You were an influencer before TikTok. I was, but there was no TikTok, thankfully. At that time, um, you know, that was the best solution from a certain point of view. The other soft bags that were available were basically shoulder bags. They didn't have wheels. The Pelican didn't have wheels either back then, by the way. 
they, they added, Pelican added wheels to those cases a decade later. So you had like a uh, travel trolley that you strap it to and then you use that to drag it around. Why do I bring this up? Hard cases have certain advantages and certain disadvantages. The biggest disadvantage of a hard case is that you've got to lock everything down to keep it from moving in that case. And you can only put so much stuff in there. With a soft side case, a hybrid case like this bow truck, if you pick up a couple of shirts or something while you're at a tournament, or you pick up you know, a bunch of other gear, you've gone and visited Lancaster's trailer or something, you can get it into that case. You have basically expansion capability. And yet, it does as good a job protecting your gear, arguably, as any hard case. Maybe even better. Because with the hard case, if the stuff could move around at all, it would get battered if the case got dropped. The soft case helps to absorb some of that impact. It's just like the egg in a egg carton, you know, rather than a... It, it just it bounces around a little bit. Yeah, that's better. actually a pretty good analogy. Yeah, the most beat-up bow I ever had was in an SKB case all its life. Yeah, and the reason is because the the hard case transmits the energy right into the contents, mm-hmm. whereas the hybrid case, like the bow truck, it helps to moderate that impact. Um, other bow cases, you know, for your compound shooters out there, your World Cup case and all those other cases are still available. The recurve backpack is available. Um, that's really popular with a lot of recurve shooters, especially in Europe, it seems. Uh, two versions of that, the Club XT and the deluxe recurve backpack. And of course, all those, uh, all those things that uh, go into the bow case, the accessories, so the bow case, case cubes that have the Velcro, so you can move them around, and uh, the molded arrow cases, all that stuff's available at eastonarchery.com. Um, once you've subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, go to our Easton Target Archery Facebook page, leave your questions for the next podcast. Steve and I will tackle five questions from listeners and we're going to do a bonus here we're going to add one more signed book from greg easton for the person whose questions who the first question that we'll answer on the next podcast how's that first question gets the book correct okay but we have one more book to give away on the podcast actually we've got two more this podcast and the next podcast. The next podcast will give away two books. But right now, here's Greg Easton to give away another signed copy of 100 Years, The Easton Story. Let's do it. Thank you, George. Yes, we've got two winners on the list here. We have Francis Parchaso. Francis Parchaso. Parchaso. Sorry, Francis. And Juji Ozawa. Juji Ozawa. Congratulations. We're going to be sending out some books to you. Thank you for participating. So here's the cool thing about Francis. Francis lives just a few blocks from where Doug Easton met Saxton Pope at Golden Gate Park Mm -hmm. in that epic story that is in the book that many people are familiar with and some will be familiar with after they've seen this in the book. So Francis, uh, congratulations. Junji is a hardworking guy. He is... uh, uh, member of World Archery Asia. So there's, uh, there's Greg with yet another winner. Um, the people that have gotten the books so far seem to love them. Have you seen the book? I saw the book. I looked through the book. It's an interesting book. I didn't read it. 
there's, cover, but there's, I flipped through it. There's a lot in there. It's a lot in there. I'm trying to decide if I... I don't know. I'll probably read it like some holiday or something when I've got nothing going on. And that's when I read books is during Thanksgiving and Christmas. I would advocate, you know, I would say that uh, once the initial printing is gone, and that won't be very long at the current rate that it's being taken up, um, I'm hoping that uh, maybe we can get Greg to do it as an ebook or something. Yeah, that's one way to do it. You know? I believe that that would... Uh, have a pretty big reach. Well, I mean, it's something that it's kind of a company about section on a website too, you know, yeah. like really an expanded one. It would be very expanded. You're right though. That could be done. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of stuff going on. Um, what's your next, what's next on your calendar? I don't even know. I've got to go to Taiwan. I'm not going to Taiwan. I'm looking forward to going to Taiwan. Uh, GT Open is this weekend as we speak. Yeah, that's happening right now. I was updating it as we were doing this, just looking at some scores. That's in Luxembourg. How's the turnout look? I didn't look at that. I was looking at scores. That's the first of the 250-level events of the four events total that go into figuring out who's going to shoot Saturday night in Vegas for that world archery portion of the World Indoor Series. You know what else is not yet on the calendar? is the second World Cup event for next year and the World Cup Finals. So the second World Cup event for next year is still up in the air and World Cup Finals has not been announced either. You know what I think they should do? I think that second leg of the World Cup should go to... Don't say Salt Lake. (laughs) Tlachkala. Why not? I don't know. Maybe they don't have a big enough field. We don't know. Okay, maybe. But given how people reacted to the World Cup final being there. Yeah, let's get another event there. I don't know, man. It struck me as a great place for, for an archery tournament. They've got people who understand how to run them, so... Seems that way. Uh, is there... What are the World Series events as we go through them? We've got... For the Indoor World Series, you Luxembourg. have the GT Open Luxembourg happening right now. Taiwan. Taiwan, which is going to be the first weekend of uh, December... Then after that, you have Nîmes. Oh, yeah, okay. And then the first part of Vegas. Yeah, I don't even really count the Vegas as one of those. Right, fair enough. Because you pretty much have to go to one of the other events to qualify. Correct. And it seems like, maybe not anymore, but in years prior, you had to go to, I want to say you had to go to three. So you had to go to Nîmes, you had to go to Vegas, being one of them, and then... You had to pick another one, so you would have had to go to Luxembourg or Taiwan. And then, yeah, it's always like, hey, there's, you know, if that was a scenario, it's kind of tough for an American shooter. You can't. It is. You don't have one in your continent or even in your hemisphere. So, right. Um, I suppose that, uh, I suppose that, it, you know, the obvious candidate for that might be Lancaster, except that Lancaster doesn't follow no. the WA rules. You could make a... Uh, you could you could do it and just you know take a Rushmore Rumble, change it to WA rules, and make it a two for one event. Or yeah. you know maybe we all go to San Diego in the middle of the winter when it stinks here and it's uh, cold and nasty, and we shoot down there at the Eastern Center there. That might go over pretty well. It'd be cool. Well, it would be better if we did have a at least one of those here. But, yeah, uh, as someone's stands, got a bid on it though. Yeah, it's, and, it's not up to World Archery. Yeah, and you know the truth is they, they really, 
how do I put this? It, uh, it's a big deal to put on one of these things. Yeah. There's a lot of requirements. Yeah. I'll be doing a technical seminar um, for those people who are attending the event in Taiwan. So looking forward to that. Nice. And uh, I believe that that will be the first event we've had in Taiwan on a world level since 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Because we had an Asian championship there mm. in 2016. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be very cool. Uh, it'd be nice to get back there and see some of my old friends who are living in Taipei City and uh, enjoying the local cuisine. I don't know what it's like there. I mean, I know nothing about it. It's Chinese food. I would assume, but <laughs> it's not like Golden Dragon down the street from my parents' house. Uh, I guarantee know? it's not, not like the that. same. So guarantee. Is All it right. similar to Shanghai, like what we might see there? Uh, it's a, it's kind of a combination of, of the Sichuan and the Cantonese okay. cuisine. So there's some spicy stuff and there's some less spicy stuff. And Taiwan has also got a specific type of cooking that is done, um, I think was developed there by Buddhist monks, where they, have, they use um, soybeans and they use tofu and they use gluten to make imitation meat dishes that are really very good. I'll take your word for it. You'll have to take my word for it. I'm looking up Taipei City. It looks like a really nice place. It's an actually. awesome place. Yeah. It's, it, Taipei City is wonderful. You know, I really like Japan a lot. Taipei City is right up there as far as I'm concerned, as far as destinations in Asia. Kind of a mountainous region a little bit. Taiwan's a very varied geography, but a lot of mountainous uh, stuff, yeah. Huh, so when do you leave for that? Um, early December, and then uh, be headed, you know, back. I mean, I'm only spending about six days there, so it's that's a little bit of a grind to, to fly somewhere and then fly back pretty much right away. But it'll be good. Yeah. So, looking forward to it. I did the uh, Singapore when it was indoor World Cup, I went to Singapore, oh, yeah. and we, you know, we left on like a Thursday. You or and Rio and a couple other people, right? Yeah, and we, you know, you're there. I want to say you get there Friday. I don't know. I might have left Wednesday, and you get there like early Friday or something. Yeah, and then you leave Sunday night or Monday morning. I don't remember exactly when, yeah. but you know, that's that, a that's not that's right. Tough. That's not right. The only thing I can think of that's worse would be is if you would fly to Taiwan uh, to Thailand and then have to fly back. <laughs> yeah, we know how that is. So, <laughs> <laughs> Linda, Linda, if you're listening, Linda Ochoa Anderson, if you're listening, we remember. Yeah. <laughs> huh. All right, let's wrap this one up. Uh, any thoughts before we uh, before we go? I have no thoughts. 